Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for a Savage Critics website. You hold in your hot little ears episode 99, and Graham McMillan and I are doing our best to make you think it is already episode 100, giving you over two hours and 15 minutes of reviews, discussion, and comic book-related gab. Among the topics under discussion this time around, Minutemen number 3, Justice League number 12, The Flash, Superman, and Green Lantern annuals, Rob Liefeld, some very odd Challengers of the Unknown talk, Vision and Scarlet Witch, A Year in the Life, The Voyeurs by Gabrielle Bell, Prophet 28, Black Kiss number 2, Happy by Grant Morrison and Derek Robertson, Emo Galactus by R.M. Rhodes and Meredith Burke, and much, much more. Also, if you would like your voice to be heard on our 100th episode, listen closely for our secret Wait What related phone number. Our special phone is waiting under a cake glass for your call. And, as always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Jeff Lester! Wow. (laughs) Graham McMillan, hello! What you missed when I said that, by the way, was for some reason there was a hand gesture. That that was really dramatic, and it was only after I did it I was like, "He he, he can't see this." I I can't. I can't believe it was that. great. Imagine if, um, imagine some sort of like Vanna White esque showing, like demonstrating hand gesture, right? Was crossed with the deadliest ninja. So it starts if it's like, "Why look?" and it ends with, "I've chopped off your arms." <laughs> Sounds perfect. I'm actually sorry. Perhaps you can like take a little photo strip sequence of that and we can set that up. It's a movable feast, so it would be kind of difficult. I think it's more fun if everyone just uses their imagination after my description. I feel feel that everything else, like if I actually demonstrated it, people would be really disappointed. Well, maybe, maybe not. If you demonstrated it dressed as Vanna White and a Master Ninja, I think that people would be less disappointed. Or just vomiting over their computer. <laughs> Dude, that, that's what passes for very satisfied on the internet these days. <laughs> oh, Jeff, your cynicism is so high. Indeed, indeed. So how are you? What's going on? Uh, what's going on? I'm sitting here in the warmth of Portland. We've had a, a nice sort of mm. relatively calm, cool week mm-hmm. of weather and then today it's getting warmer again which i, I really appreciate i i had gotten used to the oh i guess we're going to be overcast and then this comes back so i'm in a good mood jeff good good well i'm i'm very glad to hear what about yourself uh i am recovering from a rare disease known as uh poor boy poisoning where well a poor poor boy tensitis? No. I, anyway, what happened was I went and got lunch at this uh, bar where they serve um, uh, shrimp and catfish poor boys. And I was very excited by the possibility. I'd never been there before. I had just heard about it. And somehow managed to order more food than a human person uh, pretty much can look at, much less eat. Uh, and then I proceeded to eat the majority of it and then crawl home in time to be able to call you. So if I pass out, uh, um, you'll know that it's it's uh, the dreaded poor boy poisoning. I'll, 
I'll just start doing Jeff impressions if that happens. <laughs> oh, really? I, I'm almost afraid to ask. But... <laughs> I, I have nothing on my sleeve for that. Oh, thank God. Whew, I'm so glad I called that bluff because I'm like, oh, I think I'd be sort of terrified by your impression of me. Um, although maybe that's what we should do for issue uh, uh, episode 100 is I can imitate you and you can imitate me. Oh, I think you'd have a, a much easier time of it. I think I have so many more... Uh, shall we be polite and call them foibles? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I came up with this spectacular idea for episode 100. Yes. Ooh. Uh, we get our friends and haters or mm-hmm. and whoever um, to record questions for us as MP3s Ooh. and we edit them into the podcast. Ooh. I told Kate that today and her response was this. That's just giving Jeff seven times more work than he normally does. God bless Kate. I really was. I was like, what? Like, you think that's a good idea? Like, uh, yeah, no. I mean, part of me is like, Ugh. you know, there, there is the option on uh, the the thing that I record with, uh, Power Grammo, to actually play stuff while we talk. That like, could be spectacular. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. It's, it's sort of, because we don't really know. Let's see here. Uh, can I find something? Um, add music files to the list. Yeah, in theory, maybe we should do it. Why don't we do it? And then if it doesn't work, we'll just pretend it never happened, which I'm perfectly okay with. <laughs> in that respect, I'm much like the big two comics companies, really. I'm like, meh. We, uh, did we ask you guys to do that? My uh, no, good. did we? Uh, I, 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 I don't think that happened. Nobody my, said us anything. My idea number two was before Wait What. Oh, nice. Uh, wait, when I say, oh, nice, I'm like, what would that entail? Like, both of us talking to other people, and then that would be something that I could edit together somehow? It has other people talking about (laughs) how one day there might be a podcast called Wait What. Oh, God. Oh, that's... Is that that based on some recent... uh, Although I have to tell you, DC sent me um, the third issue of Minuteman, or Minuteman. Uh, and I actually kind of liked it. I was I was really surprised. Mm. Um, but yeah, it seems like Dermot Cook kind of got bored after. Uh, I didn't read the second issue, but after the first issue, mm-hmm. it's played relatively straight. This is him playing around with format, and and oh. so it's it's more interesting. Yeah, I I I uh, I, I want to say that of course um, one of our. F- Fine friends on Twitter, Stephen Williamson, uh, pointed me, and I don't know, maybe, I think he included you, but I would have assumed you saw the comic by that point, pointed me to the uh, the last page, I think, of that issue. Is is that the one that's... Um, the last page is a nine-panel grid with the center panel is a circle and it says the silhouette of Benching Angel, patron saint of children everywhere, and the kids are lifting her up saying, hooray, and it's drawn in, like, Dick Sprang style. Oh, that's lovely. No, 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 no. Um, the page that seems to have the um, potentially man-rapey scene between oh, oh, that, yeah, that's, and... that's, that's nowhere near the end. That's, that's like, maybe uh, two-thirds of the way in. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. Does that... Oh, there, there is, um, yeah. There's, there's crazy, potentially objectionable stuff all, all the way through. <laughs> mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting 
comic. Like, I feel like I read it in a different way because I don't really care about Watchmen, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. coming at it as I have a past with these characters because, you know, I do. But honestly, I also don't really remember who half of these characters are. Um, no, it's just it's it's really I don't know. I, I kind of liked it. And I think I liked it because of the craft, for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, there's it's... Like parts where he's he's when he does the nine panel grids, which he does for a lot of the issue, which kind of mm-hmm. is me. I feel that mm-hmm. he uses it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he plays things off against each other really well. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And the, the, yeah. the Dick Sprang stuff is really kind of awesome. Like where he has the Dick Sprang uh, illos that are, I guess, meant to be some sort of shout out to the fictionalized version of the Minutemen because at some point you see a Minutemen comic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Dick Sprang, and it's very, like, cliched, you know, square-jawed characters, and the women are like, what a man, or the raccoon cats. And the type beside it is, like, typeset, like in EC Comics. Mm, mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know, there's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of niceness there. There's also a lot of, really, that's what you did? Yeah, the, the, um, the homoerotic hanging sequence is kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I mean, this is the silhouette. Yes. This, the silhouette plot as well is really kind of like, huh? There, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that like I would love for you to read it, and then, mm-hmm. oh, I see what you're getting at, because it's uh, like, so then when she steals, like when she kidnaps the kid from the pedophiles who have kidnapped the kid in the first place, and she arrests mm-hmm. them. And that's intercut with the fact that it looks like she's possibly trying to commit suicide in the past, but really she's washing all the blood off. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it feels weird to sort of mm-hmm. about that as opposed to be like, if you read it, you get what I'm talking about. Right, right. Yeah, it it sounds like it would be a very difficult book to discuss without without the context, I suppose, you know, uh, of... Um, of both of us knowing what the hell is going on and whether or not it's really clear since it seems like one of the things that it sounds like from your description is Cook is is playing with um, the I guess the juxtaposition of people's assumptions and what's actually going on. Yes. Which is which is a which is a perfectly fine sort of watchman y theme to tackle, I guess. And he's doing it twice because he's not only doing it in terms of playing the, the Dick Sprang here are ideal heroes against the reality. Mm-hmm. So when he reveals the quote-unquote reality, he's doing that in two stages. So he's mm-hmm. like, I think it's this, but it's really this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The sort of double bluff, I guess. Right. Right. Which, uh, I, I don't know, I, I, it could be interesting. I mean, I'm, it sounds interesting. It's kind of a drag that I'm sort of at it, that stage of. It's better yeah. first issue. It, yeah, it's 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 so good that I'm going to second issue. Oh. Like what it's like in between, and also mm-hmm. one on Twitter who I can't remember who it was now, um, had a link to a blog post which was essentially I know I'm supposed to hate before Watchmen, but Silk Spectre is a genuinely stunning comic, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that it is the half price Excalibur sale this weekend. I might go and see if they have Silk Spectre at all. Ah, yeah, you should you should give it a shot. I remember flipping through the issues in first two issues, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in the store while talking to Hibbs and uh, uh, man, Amanda Connor's art looks gorgeous and also very, I wouldn't have made the connection between her work and Dave Gibbons, I guess, but in Supreme pages and you're like, wow, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. really like, it's really close without being a copy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's clearly her own style. And yet, yeah, so that's, that's kind of cool for a project, you know, assured of damnation. Know, um, but really, it is. It's kind of like, great, this is the project that's going to make Amanda Connor a superstar, and it's the project that's also going to make half of the internet call her a scab for the rest of her life. <laughs> because she is an amazing artist. And mm-hmm, she is. Her, I kind of wish that her day would have come before this or after this and this hadn't happened. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel at this mm-hmm. point everyone could have just loved her as opposed to whatever happens after this there will always be a group of people who are like you fucking bastard maybe maybe I guess I mean I don't know I, I, I'm i sort of I'm sort of like the ability to talk about people's um, you know being able to talk about people's uh, ability to remember things on the internet is something that I'm sort of skeptically eyebrow raised you know because there are there's like you know, a great example is the what Spider-Man, you know, the the whole one more day scenario where I think for the most part, the vast majority of everyone has moved on from that debacle. And yet I'm always impressed by how you'll get, you know, someone will write something about the current Spider-Man and somebody will be like, yeah, of course, they ruined that with the one more day scenario. Like, there's like, what, you know, there's always someone who's like, I would love to read that. That sounds like something I'd really enjoy. Sadly, I can never read Spider-Man again because five years ago they did this story. Right. Right. Yeah. Which which let's face it, as somebody who I would like to think is not reading Spider-Man for slightly better reasons than that. Even I find myself going like, yeah, guys, seriously, that storyline did suck, but um, I'm always fascinated by the idea of superhero books as these because they're so they go on so such a long time. They become these weird sort of self-correcting mechanisms. Really, you know. I feel like that's the great segue into Superman, Wonder Woman. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Did you read? I didn't. I was there at the shop. I don't have. A, I'm reading DC, as you know, and I suppose I could have picked it up, but I was like. I'm like, because I haven't been, I guess if I'd been following Justice League up until now, it would have been one thing, but I keep picking up in individual issues and browsing through it, and it is just so not my thing, I guess, up until now, that the idea that they were going to, I was like, oh, I'm going to pick it up so I can see them kiss, which always strikes me as just a not, is an uninteresting idea, essentially. So, so. I got, when I got the Watchmen uh, book, I got a chunk of stuff from DC this week because really? they had, well, they had, besides Justice League 12, they have five different annuals launching this week. Oh, yeah, that's so right. I have all of them, literally. Um, and so what's really weird is I read Justice League 12 because I have been keeping up with Justice League all this time. Mm-hmm. And then I read Justice League International Annual 1 mm-hmm. without realizing it's a crossover. Oh, really? Because at the end of Justice League International Annual 1, Future Booster Gold comes back to meet Booster Gold, and essentially mm-hmm. you have to stop Superman and Wonder Woman getting together. This is a really terrible thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> and Future Booster Gold disappears, and then so does Present Booster Gold disappear. Huh? 
this comic is also written by Jeff Johns. Wow. Which, which quite clearly puts a sense of this, like, as much as they're like, this is a status quo, it's a power couple, this is quite clearly a story that is going to end up with, you know what was a bad idea? Superman and Wonder Woman getting together. Right. And when right. you see that, you're like, huh, it's a completely different thing. Because if I mm-hmm. tried issue 12, I would have been like, wow, Jeff Jones really can't write that sort of scene. Because the scene where they get together is mm-hmm. horrible. Really? Uh, let's see, what is the dialogue? Um... I still have to keep secrets from everyone, says Superman. So how close I am to anyone is debatable. We're not like Zeus, but we're not like them either, says one woman. We're not like anyone, says Superman. Because we're really alone, aren't we? Do you ever feel alone? Of course I do. And then they kiss. I mean, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> um, that's before, like, Superman reveals that he's Clark Kent to Wonder Woman, and she's like, why do you have an identity like that? It's, uh, ha-ha. <laughs> God, I wish I could make ringtones easily, because that would be, like, the best, most popular ringtone ever. Like uh, Graham McMillan, ah-ha-ha. <laughs> weirdly enough, before that, I really like what happens in the comic before that. Yeah. The scene kind of serves a comic and i really like what happens after that because it's a traditional jeff johns coming later this year for mm. like scenes from things that are upcoming mm. uh, which i always like i always like when someone does that i don't know why it's it's the lie that we have a plan and then yes none of those things will ever happen and you're like oh okay well i guess your plan changed um but, you know, John started off with a good batting record with those things, and then it kind of went awry, didn't it? Like, as time went on? feeling that the only comic that has never really, like, even awkwardly gone out of its way to make those things happen is uh, mm-hmm. Brad Meltzer's Justice League. I think that's mm-hmm. the one where he's like, a year from now, and it didn't even vaguely happen. Right, right. But I want to say, like, John's did one for Green Lantern at the end of the Sinestro War that built up to blackest, yeah, you know, and that, that seemed pretty accurate. And then I wasn't following the JSA one, but Lord knows it was the most interesting thing of the, I'm pretty sure happened. Uh, he mm-hmm. flash. I seem to remember that happened. Yeah. The end of flash issue one was flashpoint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's done one for another one that definitely happened as well. Mm-hmm. Well, he had a bunch of stuff right for booster gold or no. Yeah, sure. The booster gold stuff never happened. None of the booster gold. Mm-hmm. Happened. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, but I was never quite sure whether that was meant to be a joke or not. <laughs> it's a time travel series. And so he's like, you know, a year from right. now, 300 years in the past. And I could never mm-hmm. like whether it was genuinely uh, coming up or uh, I'm making fun of myself. <laughs> um, no, but okay. So the end of, of Justice League is – or the issue of Justice League is – First of all, it reveals that Steve Trevor isn't dead and it was all a fake out, which I thought was kind of cute. Mm -hmm. And then has four or five pages of the Justice League afterwards basically being like, well, we really fucked up. We're (laughs) superheroes. Uh, Crap. (laughs) I'm quitting you guys. Blame it all on me. Um, Which is, I don't know. It's just, it's a really interesting dynamic. And it's kind of interesting to see that Batman's the one who's like, we made the mistake. As opposed to the tradition mm-hmm. being, I had everything planned out and you guys f***ed up. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was, a, I thought it was a, a good Justice League story. And then, you know, you get the four pages of 
why are why do you love the humans? I love the humans too, but we're apart from them. Why don't we snog? Which is just <laughs> why don't we snog? <laughs> it is however better than um Justice League International Annual, which is terrible. Oh yeah. If like me, you're a fan of Omak, mm-hmm. you don't want to read it. Mm, oh no, really? Yeah, it's 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 um See, do you remember the end of the OMAC series is Kevin basically being like, hey, I've got autonomy over Brother Eye. Mm-hmm. So the plot of Just League International is Brother Eye takes over Ke- Kevin's body and tries to kill the Justice League. The end. <laughs> wow. Huh. So, hmm. It's uh, Brother Eye being like, I have a new programmer. He's going to fuck you all up. Bye-bye. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Well, um, uh, that kind of that does suck. I have to say, it's fascinating. I, not that I'm following internet news at all, but did anyone really pick up the tie between the Justice League International Annual and Justice League Twelve, complete with the Booster Gold stuff? Yeah, most, okay. mostly to make fun of the fact that Booster Gold looks like Triumph for people who were <laughs> like, you know, 1995 DC. Um, oh, I thought you meant the comic insult dog, which I thought would have been awesome. But that would have been awesome. Um, no, it's just, yeah, it's, it was a really weird scene. Uh, let's see. What does Booster Gold say in the future? It talks about uh, getting having to get Steve Trevor in Justice League of America, which is the tease at the end of Justice League 12. Mm-hmm. If you don't stop them, they'll cease to exist. Superman and Wonder Woman, you need to stop them tr- from no. And then he looks at the screen and they're kissing. Mm-hmm. Booster Gold's dialogue at the time, like present Booster Gold, is Superman and Wonder Woman, what the hell? to be stopped that's what he says it's and then he like fades out of existence um yeah it's it's i'm really glad that they sent it to me because i never would have thought to pick up justice league international i mean i like i was curious Mm -hmm. i don't think i would have paid the five dollars for it yeah wow five bucks oh man is that what i paid for this flash annual jeez bucks yeah i wonder why i haven't read it yet I, I just read it before you called. I was really surprised by how much I liked it. It's another one that yeah. oh, I guess I'll have to go back and get the issues of Flash I gave up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I could see flipping through it because it's tied into the rogues and the current storyline. And the art looked decent. And I'm like, okay, I will read it. And then just on top of everything else I was reading, it just didn't get there. I like I liked the way they're playing the rogues. Uh, mm-hmm. I, my favorite, because I'm a fan of from way back um, and I think it's my favourite portrayal of the rogues since like Carrie Bates that's not true since William Messner loves when William mm-hmm. Messner in the book um, mm-hmm. because it kind of gets away from the Jeff Johns these guys are more badass than you think you know before they wouldn't kill cops now they're going to kill cops because they're badass one of them's lost an arm one of them's a drug addict and like it really clearly is like we're not going to kill cops because they're doing their jobs like, mm-hmm. we're not drugs because that makes you sloppy. It, it very clearly is just like, we're in this to get rich. Mm-hmm. And that's it. We're, like, bad, but we're not that bad. And I really appreciated that. It seems incredibly old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. But I so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It sounds I, I, good. I really enjoyed it. Um, hmm. the Superman Annual it made no sense to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It is a crossover. It's apparently, Grifter, 
and Hawkeye and maybe Red in the was and earlier issues of Superman and perhaps Voodoo. Right. Which is hilarious because that's all the stuff that Rob Liefeld was saying that they wanted in and then threw out of the book. And now it's back in again, huh? All in there. And it really, like, at one point it gives a shout out to the previous issue of Grifter. Like, Grifter shows that it's like, the reason he's in space is because he's just done this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that really confused me. I, I, I don't know whether that was a complete breakdown in communication between mm-hmm. Liefeld, but there's a complete breakdown of communication within DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's all in there. Well, and Hibbs was saying that he felt a little, um, uh, he, he had a certain um, raised eyebrow by the whole gist of which seems to be that the, the, the part of what the annual does is it puts the demonite at the middle, uh, basically the center of the, the new 52 superhero universe, right? Like, yeah, what it really does is it turns the demonites into the celestials from the Marvel universe. You know, the celestial universe are like, we caused human evolution. Right. It's, that's exactly what it does with demonites in this book. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Because Hibbs, Hibbs was making it sound like their genetic ma- manipulation stuff. He's like, it doesn't come out and say it, but you get the idea that you're sort of led to believe that they are responsible for essentially metahumans. So. Uh, I, t- I read it as essentially they're responsible for humans as we know them. Mm. Like the whole shebang. Uh, but I think it's also possible. I think I, I, this might be a, it depends what you bring to it. Because there's mm-hmm. also stating that they're not responsible for any of it apart from creating demonite sleeper agents. There is there is enough wiggle room that whoever falls up in this plot can right. recast it. Well, you have to excuse me. I'm being a little posy because I noticed the volume again, sort of like with our last call. You sort of cut in and out a little bit at the beginning of your sentences, and I don't know if that's because I'm talking or not. So. I don't know, but all of a sudden, um, the line has gotten really bad for me. Like, you sound very distorted. I sa- Okay, do I sound better now, or still... Maybe this is a sign that we're going to have to do this in two parts, and I should just call you back. I Okay. Do you want to okay? call me? What yeah. if it's like, normally when we're talking, and we've been talking for too long, and all of a sudden we start getting distorted? Yeah, that's not what it sounds like for me. It, it that- honestly sounds like you are cutting in, in, out a little bit. When you talk, back. Yeah, like that, for example. What did you say? Ah, I said, let's call back. Okay. All right. That sounds good. I hope. I'll talk to you in just a second. Hello. Hello. Okay. Well, interestingly enough, uh, my wife heard me like swearing and, and hollering and came back and told me that she is sending a very large file right now. So maybe that's, that's part of our problem. Ah, uh, well, who? Who knows? Who knows, mm-hmm. Jeff? Yeah, you do actually sound much better this time around, like right out of the gate. So um, so we'll see how long that sticks. But if not, in theory, if we're still having problems and uh, it doesn't clear up in, say, 10 minutes or so, maybe we'll try it one more time. And then by then, hopefully, it'll be just primo. Primo something, et cetera, et cetera. Man, I'm so should not have had a beer with all that sandwich poisoning. <laughs> I am like... 
absurdly inarticulate. I'm like, oh, God, Graham, okay, you keep telling me fascinating things about comics. And then when I open my mouth, I will forget how to speak words. I so, hopefully hope that you will open your mouth and then just burp. That would be the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> it could be coming. We'll see. We'll see. Um, so, yeah, so what What I was saying about Surfing Mama is it leaves yes. it really open. Mm-hmm. It, right. it really does room. leave a lot of like, room for whoever follows up in this, which I guess is going to be Scott Lobdell, mm-hmm. um, to say, you know, I, I mean, looking at it again, it does, it does mention outright the metagene. Mm-hmm. It says a potential metagene that in due time could evolve and become the salvation of my people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then talks about molding and preparing humans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how they decide to, to play that out. Right. Um, but it, it makes no sense to me. I mean, I'm not joking. I don't follow any of the titles. <laughs> and I was reading going, what the fuck? I mean, what? Why? What's happening? Who, what's, who are these people? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, it took me three, three go-throughs to even understand what happens like in that comic. It's just – it's a disastrously constructed comic. Right. Um, on the plus side, it looks nice. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of remarkable if you think about it, considering how long that son of a bitch must have been in the hopper. I mean, you know. There, oh, there's something – it's something ridiculous, like maybe six artists. Oh, okay. Um, it, there is – Pascal Leakes does the majority of it. There's also Marco Rudy, Tom Rainey, Elizabeth Torque, and Miko Soivan. And it's only a 32-page comic. <laughs> really? So, you know, yeah. There's a lot of people in there. Wow. That's um, crazy. What other, what other annuals did they give me? The Batman Detective Annual, which I've not read. <laughs> Man, I have to admit, um, I sort of wanted to read that one because, you know. I, I, I've tried to read it. And again, I, I was so – I don't even know what's going on here because that's one of the – you know, this is part seven of a seven-part story. <laughs> Hope you've been paying attention. And so it pretty much starts with like, Black Mask, I'm after you. I was like, what's what's going on here? Um, and it's so not attractive to me. and As in, like, the art has no interest to me. Mm-hmm. And Tony Daniels' writing has no interest to me that I didn't even try and slug through it. I made it maybe three pages in and was like, yep, sorry. Yeah, that seems sorry like a Batman. smart choice, though. <laughs> sorry, Batman. Uh, and then the Green Lantern Annual is really interesting, but not in the way that they want it to be. Ooh. That sounds promising. Uh, it, it's one of those things. It's, so it's the setup for the next Green Lantern crossover. Mm-hmm. And it's so repetitive <laughs> that my main thought was, please, Jeff Johns, just leave the book. Really? Yeah, because you've run out of ideas. Huh. You're, you're, you're redoing your own ideas now. Just step aside. Um, the plot is that... The Guardians have now decided, yet again, that, oh, they have, yeah. that they have to save the universe by eradicating all free will. And so the way they do that is they go back to the first Lantern uh, and essentially clone him to make him in, to make this new, like, post-Lantern character who takes away other characters' free will. Um, and in the process, they kill Hal Jordan and Sinestro. Uh, kill them? Essentially, yes. Hmm. <laughs> it, it will be undone. 
Uh-huh. Put it that way. And yes. they, again, there's wiggle room. Mm-hmm. Black Hand, who apparently has the power to kill people, by w- which sounds ridiculous because everyone, I guess, has the power to kill someone. Yes, but, yes. Um, but you know, Black Hand has magical ways to kill you. I guess. Yes. Um, does something to them and they disappear, and it is just you know, given the dialogue, you're supposed to think they're dead. Right. Uh, and they're definitely their their um, Green Lantern rings think they're dead. Yeah. Um, and so the the setup is. Uh, uh, Green Lantern-esque or Nova-esque depending on where you come which is their ring goes to find the closest mm-hmm. suitable replacement right. and that's going to be the new uh, Green Lantern yes. character um, but yeah it's it's just it's another the Guardians aren't to be trusted and by the way there's a forgotten part of Green Lantern lore that you've never learned and they're going to do this uh, you know it's just we've seen all of this before yeah uh, and it's and it's done with no, no real panache. Like there, there's nothing really interesting about it. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, really, it's just like, yeah, it's time to step aside. It's time to leave. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I obviously considering I read like the first issue or two of Green Lantern um, under the new Fifty Two launch, and of course, the art looked lovely, but. And in fact, in in a way, it was like, a, you know, because it was so f- clearly the Ryan Reynolds-ish Hal Jordan, it was actually very different in some ways from what Johns had been doing previously. And yet, I really didn't care, like, not very far in, I suppose. I don't know. So, yeah, the Green Lantern franchise is interesting because it's, it's, it's such a big franchise now. Um you have to assume that there is somebody that, you know, uh, is going to be able to pick it up and go interesting places with it. But but kind of like if it's not, like, I don't know, you know, like, I'm trying to think if, like, it ever really has been, you know, like, even when we have such love for the, the Englehart issues and things like that, like, was was it really selling that well back then? I wonder. You know what I mean? Like I'm just sort of like, man, if the Green Lantern franchise runs out of gas, that's like three or four titles, right? I'm fairly sure this is the best it's ever been telling. Yeah, uh, but it actually really reminds me of the Avengers over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Himself, and he was doing the plots that he'd done before, and it was all feeling like you know we've seen this before. It's and it and better and mm-hmm. from you. Like right. not, you're doing a cover version of someone else's story, you're doing a cover version of your own stuff. Right. Um, but you know, you're such a big part of of the company mm-hmm. and success that we can't let you step off yet. That's what truly really reminds me of. Well, uh, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a drag. I mean, it, it will be interesting. I would think that Johns would be more willing than others to jump off of a book before before it really started to stink up the joint, but I could be wrong. Because that's just sort of based on, like, when I thought that he left Flash the first time, I thought he kind of did it kind of perfectly, you know? It was kind of like, oh, okay, you know, it left with, like, kind of a big da-da kind of thing, and, um, you know, I, I just, it sort of felt like nobody really had any idea where to go with it once he was off. It, isn't that what happened? I'm yeah. trying to think that that is like because yeah. did they relaunch it right after he left the book? Is that is that how it happened? If you're talking about the Wally West Flash, yes. Sorry. Yeah, 
There was like five issues of fill-in mm-hmm. tied into Hard. Infinite Crisis, I guess it would have been. Mm-hmm. They relaunched it with um, Bart Allen and mm-hmm. that 13 issues. Then they relaunched it again right. with Wade and that lasted six issues. <laughs> they just relaunched it again with Jeff Jones again. Right. right. Uh, but with that was a, that was with Barry Allen at that point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But no, I mean, considering the rumor is that he's leaving Aquaman, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he he obviously has no problem leaving titles. Like he left Booster Gold after a year, mm-hmm. the the Barry Allen Flash after a year. Mm-hmm. It, it, Green Lantern seems to be the one where like he's just hanging on. Mm-hmm. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe there's an amazing, you know, maybe this plot is going to go somewhere completely different. Mm-hmm. But upon this opening chapter. Not in the slightest. Like if you thought War of the Green Lanterns was cliched, this is this is horrendously worse. Mm. Mm. I, you know, I love Green Lantern as a concept, mm-hmm. and so I always at least check out the first issue of any of these big crossover things because I'm like, it's lots of Green Lanterns. How bad can it be? And be <laughs> bad is the answer. Right. Well, just out of curiosity, do you have any ideas about where the title should go? Uh, I'd love to see it go somewhere that isn't up its own asshole. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see it get away from the... There's a forgotten part of Green Lantern. <laughs> <laughs> or, this is how the Green Lanterns police themselves. Or mm-hmm. another color of ring. You know, mm-hmm. I'd love to see it actually look outside. For one, mm-hmm. we do the space cop stuff, mm-hmm. like just straightforward. This is him. This is what he does. This is his background, and now he's going to do something else, as opposed to, you know, get really wrapped up in his own mythology. Right. Really feels, but at the same time, that's Jeff Johns' shtick. Well, it's not just Jeff Johns' shtick, but in the in the case of Green Lantern, it was the shtick that really kicked it up to the next level, you know? Yeah, but it was always kind of paced out. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like the, yes. Here's a storyline about the past of the Guardian. Here's seven storylines about something else. Right. As, as was an hour, where it's just every single plot is here's something about our own mythos. Here's something about our own mythos. Here's something about our own mythos. Mm-hmm. No, but when I said it was Jeff John's thing, I mean, like, the Aquaman title is all about... You know, where's Atlantis? What is the past of Aquaman? And Mr. Gold thing was pretty much what, you know, what is the secret past of Rip Hunter? And what is Booster Gold's true purpose? And mm-hmm. how is Booster really involved intimately in this universe? And that seems to be his thing. His thing is all like, I'm going to find the core of this character and then I'm going to mine it for all it's fucking worth. Sure, sure. Which, not terrible idea in in some ways it just you, it helps if you sort of escape the orbit of that you know like it's great to focus the character but mm-hmm. then have to look out again I, f- I feel like you can't just continually keep digging in right, right. I, I, that's where i'd like to see it go where i'd like to see him go even though he's clearly going to this new justice league title uh, i'd love to see him take over superman and just try and do something with that character in the new 52 because i feel that Outside of action, which is soon to be going to a new writer anyway. Right. 
Superman really hurting as a franchise in mm-hmm. and I, I think he needs someone to step in right right someone do something dynamic with it everyone's talking about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry you said he's going to a, a, a Justice League title I'm baffled yes uh, Jeff Johns David Finch are going to be starting a new Justice League book called Justice League of America Oh, my God. So I thought Finch was just taking over on art duties for Justice League. They're launching another Justice League title? Uh, with a whole new team. You must have seen this online featuring Vibe from the Justice League Detroit. I'm so happy. I, I didn't see it. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. It's revealed in the, the end of, um, of Justice League 12. It is... Vibe, Catwoman, Steve Trevor, John Johns, the new Green Lantern, Stargirl, Katana... Hawkman and Green Arrow. And they're described as the world's most dangerous superheroes. They're mine. <laughs> that number. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Wow. Well, so it's, I'm fascinated that, uh, that Johns is basically taking a, a page from the Brian Bendis playbook, apart from, you know, get tired of heroes, don't leave. But it's, you know, now it's also start another title. So. Yeah, but, you know. It worked for best for a really long time. <laughs> it did. And who knows? You know, Johns might be able to, to kind of make that whir. Although it just, it, I don't know. It, I, I, it, I have to say the New 52 has been a real Jeff Johns jumping off point for me. I mean, I guess I was sort of building to that point beforehand anyway. You know, like I would jump in occasionally for stuff like Blackest Night. But, I, I you know. I don't think I was really following any of his books anymore, which is a shame because I can think back to the days when I was reading him on JSA and I was reading him on Flash and, you know, and then when the Green Lantern stuff started in, I followed for the first year of that or something like that. But prior yeah. to uh, prior getting these books in the mail mm-hmm. for the last couple of weeks, thinking, yeah, the new 52 point is, is a jumping off point for DC in general for me. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was just feeling really burnt out, and I wasn't feeling very interested. Uh, so in that sense, like I'm really glad because I was reading the Flash, and I was like, I'm kind of digging this. I'm going to go back and see what what they were doing in the Flash after I jumped out. Well, that's good. I, that's great. I'm kind of hoping for that because that last issue of Flash, which was drawn by the art team, but was like kind of too little, too late, you know, for me. I was like, I, I don't think I care anymore, guys. I think I think I'm off the book. So, um, you know. But I mean, we'll see, because I also said that about what Batwoman and as somebody pointed out on one of our threads, uh, they jumped off before I did, despite me being the one to talk them out of it. So I, you know, in some point, I think, yeah, I'll get down to the point where I might just end up be only following, you know, whatever Morrison does and, you know, the, the main Batman title, you know, with a, with a little bit of an eye toward Detective Comics. But that's... That's well, not much. You know? Why are you reading Batman? Is it because of Batman character or is it because of Scott Snyder? And I'm not meaning to jump into the Rob Liefeld thing. Although, did you see that? I did see that. And I thought that it was fascinating. I, I really... Uh, but now you get to tell the, tell the listeners about it so they get more context. Okay, so the short version is Rob Liefeld after quitting DC last week on Twitter. And I think at the time, getting a lot of goodwill for doing so. I, th- mm-hmm. I think... People were like, this is great. He kind of went a bit crazy. After yeah, yeah kind of did, didn't he? Fights with everyone yeah. um, on Twitter, including the completely unprovoked attack against Tom Brevard. 
yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, that was after. I mean, it wasn't uh, completely unprovoked. Uh, Brevort did actually sort of address the situation in a way. That's um, um, but as part of his Charlie Sheen-esque meltdown, yes, he he and Scott Snyder apparently got into it in private that then spilled over publicly. Oh yeah, because Liefeld posted the pictures of their of their of their the, direct messages. Uh, and in the middle of them getting into it, mm-hmm. there was the. At some point, Scott Snyder t- t- said that he and Greg Capullo should take credit for the success of the Batman title right now. Mm-hmm. I felt vehemently disagreed. Yes. Saying that it was all Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, as someone pointed out on the internet, that's hilarious considering Liefeld's history with Marvel. Yes. I mean that that's that really is I mean there's irony right there. Yeah. Uh we should flesh that out just in that cuz it was a connection I made the other day which is uh for the listeners cuz I know Graham knows this and I assume is talking about the same thing I am uh is that essentially Liefeld goes on to uh trash talk Snyder for suggesting that Batman sales are up because of what he and Capullo are doing with Liefeld essentially insisting that it's the character, that the character is is essentially everything. Um, and really, whoever works on it is like an incredibly lesser degree of importance, which again, hilarious, because really only two or three weeks earlier, not that long at all, Liefeld had been griping uh, about how Deadpool um, could be selling so much better if it wasn't just C-list talent working on the title. So, God, I mean, think about Liefeld leaving Marvel mm-hmm. because he felt that the characters were being prioritized over the creators. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. what entire career mm-hmm. is based upon the opposite of what he's espousing. Yeah. Snyder. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. again, that's not incredibly surprising if you think about the fact that you know, the extreme relaunch, mm-hmm. which is all work for hire stuff. Mm-hmm. Very clearly at some point was like, hey, this work for hire Greg is great because occasionally I can own the characters and then guys can work for me. That's um, But yeah, so, but what, like the entire reason I brought this up was, so do you check out Batman? You check it out because of Snyder and Capillo? Uh, yeah. Yes, I would say, as you may recall from us talking about it all the way back from when the new 52 titles were announced, I was super excited to see Capullo on Batman. I really thought that that was going to be a great mix. And I I have to say, I feel I was I was proven correctly for the most part on that. Um, Snyder's interesting. He doesn't really knock it out of the park. Like I said, there was, there was the bat shit just overemphasis, no pun intended on the bat shit, of course, uh, overemphasis on the owls during the whole court of owls thing that was sort of, um, charmingly unnuanced. So, uh, first and foremost, I have to say there is a certain feeling for me of the characters important, mm-hmm. um, but it is definitely a combination. Despite the fact that you've said great things, I've, I've still dragged my ass on picking up uh, Tomasi's Batman and Robin, for example. I've re- I ended up picking up more of Tony Daniels' Detective Comics than I really feel comfortable admitting in public. Um, 
but because I found them sort of, you know, hilarious and bad and in and completely worth two ninety nine, but not really worth three ninety nine at that point. So I, I'm having a lot more problems with that purchase end of things. But I would say that it's taken in tandem. I don't, I'm not sure if there's any character, there is, let's put it this way. I do not think certainly in the DC stable that there is any character really, or the Marvel stable. Now that I think about any character that is so interesting to me that I will buy them no matter who's working on it. I I jumped off that train a a long, long time ago. Um, Are there characters who are so interesting to you that you will, feel at least strongly tempted to try the first issue of a new creative team yes yeah 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 i think i think there are a huge variety of those actually um but i don't i don't know i would be i would have a much easier time talking about that with well it's a it's a really deep deep list on the Marvel side of things, which is which renders it effectively moot now, and with the d c side of things uh I would say, yeah. It's Batman or no one. (laughs) Well, I would say that it's Batman or no one for the big titles, you know, the big names. But, like, if they were bringing back um, Challengers of the Unknown in a recognizable configuration, I think that I would check that out. Uh, You know. Didn't get the Dan DiDio, Jerry Ordway run? Yeah, I I wasn't going to read that, you know. (laughs) I suppose I should because, in a way – you know, I sort of liked the Dio's work on OMAC. I mean, I did. I actually really liked the the few, I think it was preview pages or something that I read. I read something. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess it must have been like maybe five or six pages of preview. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked it. I was like, huh, I, you know, if that is a trade, I will get that trade from the library. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, will, I will look into that. Right. Right. Yeah, although it's interesting. I was thinking the other day about how the Challengers of the Unknown is, like, as much as I love the concept, I don't think there's ever been a, like, we've basically been staring down the barrel of a Challengers of the Unknown film franchise that has existed for almost 10 years now and never acknowledged it in any way, I guess. Um, I realized at my lunch break the other day, which says something really immensely sad about myself, of course. Wait, 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 what? Well... So I was thinking about it, Graham. Mm -hmm. There is a, I think, four movies now, if not five movies, that are more or less explicitly uh, take the exact starting point as the Challengers of the Unknown and go in an utterly different direction for it. Because it's a, that says everything sort of about the zeitgeist and why the Challengers kind of don't really work in today's thing, you know. Mm-hmm. culture and that is the final destination movies you know there's five final destination movies and i don't know i, I don't know if you've seen any of them is there I, five I have, maybe there's I, more i know the hook but i have not seen it well so the hook is challenges of the unknown you know there are these five no, people is, it, is the hook not challenges the unknown but death is continually actively after them the entire time yeah, that's what no, but that's what I'm saying. It starts with the same premise. They should have died, but they didn't. You know, the challengers, you know, basically challenge death. Their 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 clocks all stop and they're like, "Wow, we should have been killed, but we didn't. Now we're going to go on and become super daredevils in part because death doesn't really hold any fear for us in a way." Mm-hmm. 
The Final Destination premise is exactly the same thing. Death passed us over, but as a result of that, death is now hunting us down one by one and killing us in in, um, morbid and fascinating ways. So in other words, there's an entire um, culture of fatalism now that surrounds the exact same scenario that would make something like Challenger's like the exact premise, like play out entirely differently. You know, you would do it, you know, like I said, it's the same thing. They cheat death and then death comes back for them. And then maybe if you're lucky, one person gets out alive. And it's it's a silly premise, but they've managed to milk it for so many movies. And it's really kind of a shame. Like I, like I said, I really have this feeling that that is the core of the challenge of the un- unknown concept. Um, but it just shows how it doesn't really work for today anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think we believe in, we don't believe in cheating death anymore in such, in such a big way, or the idea that it means something. It, it, the closest it means in our society is, is that it's going to come and get you, you know? Yeah. So. See, uh, I think you're totally right, but I also think that it's one, that's one of those ideas that could really easily and quickly change. Mm-hmm. It only takes one person to do to do the challenger's idea right. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like if someone just said, if if someone just did a, you should have died, but instead of thinking, well, fuck, I'm going to die, you think, oh my God, I have to do something with this now. Mm-hmm. Which is a really basic idea and it's an idea that I think everyone would respond to. It just needs one person to do that. Then, then I think that idea comes back. I don't think it's... As as fatalistic a society as the thing we've become, I don't think that we're so fatalistic that we wouldn't enjoy a. Okay, so you you know, by fate or destiny or whatever, you've escaped this thing. Mm-hmm. So do something with it. Right. I feel I feel like that is still uh, a resonant enough idea. I suppose. I mean. It, it, uh, it, I mean, it is the, how do I put this? It is an idea that I think does hold a certain, uh, a, how do I put it? I, I almost, well, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and basically say that I kind of feel like American culture was very different in the sense of like emerging out of World War II, the idea of American responsibility, like we have great, we have great power. Now we must have great responsibility. Um, you know, that, that maybe there's something about the Challenger's origin that sort of, uh, like maybe the secret un- subtext to the Challengers of the Unknown Origin is about American privilege, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do feel that for the most part, you know, although it could change, the concept, of, the reaction to which Americans handle their own privilege is very much from positions of fear and denial. You know, it's so, like I said, the reason, the difference between you, the teenagers in the Final Destination movies and the Challengers is the Challengers were created by guys in an era where it's like, you know, yes, you have this incredible privilege. Now you must do something great with it, you know, and the uh, the other one, the the teens are in this thing of like, we are in positions of extraordinary privilege. Now we must hide out in our apartments and never turn on our toasters while we're in the bathtubs. And yet we're going to do it anyway, somehow, you know, here's a question. Mm-hmm. Do you think challengers would have been a more resonant idea immediately after nine 11? 
oh, wow, that's actually a really good, in this context, I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, it, uh, let's, including changing the origin? Like if you made them like six guys who, survived, I, I, who were I, I, in the I World actually, Trade Center and survived? I wasn't really thinking about that, but you could. Mm-hmm. I just feel that at that point, yeah, mm-hmm. my take on it basically is I think you're right, but I also think that um, like a lot of uh, mainstream cultural fantasy, mm-hmm. I think that the idea that we – the idea of the challengers as aspirational figures, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. we'd like to imagine that if that happened to us, we would be like them as opposed to be like the Final Destination characters. Right. I think that is still as resonant. Well, but I, I, I feel that post 9-11, mm-hmm. I think it was hyper resonant, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, it, not only because there had been, I, I think 9-11 brought a new sense of mortality to American mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. But I also think it brought a, uh, a new sense of the value of, um, of heroes and the necessity of people doing selfless acts for a greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that it would have been, I feel that if at some point then someone was like, I've got this great idea. Right. I challenges the unknown. Here it is. I think it, it really would have struck a chord in a way yeah. that I don't think it necessarily would have now. But I, I think, I still think that it could strike a chord now. It just wouldn't be the same thing. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I, it's, it's a good point, Graham. I, I would like to, I would like to believe in that. Let me let me flip it around on you, though, because admittedly, I'm both, you know, um, you know, my typical myopic self, but also uh, uh, additionally hampered by beer and sandwiches. Do you really think do, are there a lot of aspirational figures in our cultural landscape in, in that traditional hero sense these days? I th- <sighs> yes and no. Uh huh. Uh, I think the prevalence of superheroes in mainstream, in mainstream popular culture, by which I mean not comic culture, mm-hmm. but the movies, the TV yeah. shows, um, and of that level of larger-than-life scale, mm-hmm. um, I think speaks to that in a way. But because, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but because Marvel dominates it, mm-hmm. It's also very much, uh, there are these heroes and they're amazing, but they have feet of clay like us. Right. So it's this really weird quasi, you know, these people are doing things that we would love to be able to do, but they're just like us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, having your cake and eating it thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think overall, yes. I think when you look at something like The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. I think the... The pretentiousness of that, the, the, the overall theme of, you know, sometimes a man has to sacrifice himself for the greater good mm-hmm. speaks a hunger for an aspirational hero. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that there's a discomfort with making them so aspirational that they're alien to us. Mm-hmm. I, I think we either we need or we are perceived as needing to be more flawed heroes mm-hmm. and so that really undercuts the aspirational element right i i think my problem is uh i i agree with you i think that it's it's closer to the 
part of the reason why I think the Marvel zeitgeist lines up really well, or or that the I guess the the Marvel template lines up well with the current zeitgeist is that there's the feet of clay concept ties in really strongly to what I guess is kind of that the personal drama narrative. You know, like I, I think I've talked a couple of times, like even while complaining about Captain America last week, for example, where there's, you know, screenplay classes after screenplay classes after template after template about how to create good drama. And of course, part of it is, you know, you have to make your hero want something, but there also has to be personal stakes involved. And so I think traditionally that that lines up very well with the Marvel conception of things where, you know, um, the supervillain that you're fighting is your best friend's dad or something like that. Uh, or, or that you're, you're trying to protect fellow um, mutants like yourself, but you also have to deal with the evil mutant who's in the process of trying to wreck everything for everyone. Uh, manages to keep the stakes feeling personal, but it also as as we go down the road like the the nature of the concept of sacrificing for the greater good starts to feel it, it can it can it can feel very empty you know what i mean because of that concept of like well you know there has to be some personal stakes to it you know and that's why people are pretty happy with you know something like well something like marvel's civil war where it's like yeah you've got superhero against superhero um you know, in fact, I would say that isn't this kind of the the weird thing that sort of has happened for superhero comics over the last ten years or so? That it's much more about them fighting each other than it is about them fighting supervillains to an extent, unless the supervillain has a good personal dramatic hook into you know so and so's existence or origin. Yes, and part of me still just wants to discount that because comic culture is so incredibly fucked. Mm-hmm. Well, like it, yeah. I, I feel, comic culture is more self-centered than most mainstream culture. I've, most mainstream culture is incredibly self-centered, right? But comic culture is that plus an exceptional amount of self-loathing <laughs> and insider <laughs> belongingness, mm-hmm. um, and nobody understands me, um, which somehow makes it even more self-centered to me. Right. Well, but I. And so I feel that that really. That creates a uh, a product that people react to mm-hmm. when it is the you know the world is ending, but how does this impact me? Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I, in a way that <laughs> that doesn't sound like the Republican National Convention at all, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but you know what I mean. Like I, I feel that I feel that, that comic culture is. <sighs> I don't know, ahead of the curve when it comes to cultural selfishness. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying is, is, but do you, and that's part of my thing is, is like, don't you think that maybe part of its success is because, you know, uh, the cultural selfishness and solipsism and alienation, uh, and, and sort of entitled violent, you know, fist punchy privilege has finally caught up with, with superhero comic culture. I think comic culture was ahead of that. No, that's what I'm saying. Is is and that's part of why it's big now. Is we were we were you well, know thirty saying, forty years ahead of the culture of inappropriate responses 
and now you know and now the rest of the world is is catching up with with us yeah but i still think there's i still think there's people who believe out there jeff yes i i believe the children are future um <laughs> Graham. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel that. Um, yes, I think you're right, mm-hmm. and yet I still think that there is more of an appetite for a selflessness mm-hmm. in mainstream culture that is absent from comic culture. Mm-hmm. I could be far more optimistic than either culture deserves. <laughs> Well, I I don't know. I don't necessarily think you are. These these are admittedly my very jaundiced uh, post beer uh, you know views on things. No, no. I, I think it's you know I think it's worth I think it's worth saying. Like I could be hard wrong. Maybe I am far too optimistic. Maybe when I, I maybe when I took the citizenship thing, that it was just <laughs> like I believed it's too much. <laughs> I like. Those those people with flags waving and I was like, yes, I don't know. No, I, I think that that's great. I also want to believe in that. I just um, – I guess my problem is is I feel that so much of our culture is or, oriented around fear, I suppose, still in a way that, that makes it – that, you know, makes for a very natural way to keep people sort of – easily controlled and compliant and willing to, um, you know, to just try and protect themselves first before, you know, looking out for someone else. And, you know, the miracle of having a state of constant fear is you never get around to that phase of looking out for someone else. And I'm sure, you know, that's probably not entirely the case. You know, Uh, I would... I would certainly like that to change. It's a very hard thing for me to talk about during an election year, admittedly, for a presidential election, because there's always a stage right around now where between now and the election, I am just like a pit of like anguished bile. So and it pretty much <laughs> spills into everything in that way. I, like, yeah, I, I, um, uh, I, I find – American politics fascinating in a way that I don't find British politics. Um, and I don't know if I came to it as an adult, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the the RNC this week, the holy moly. It's, it's astonishing to me. Like, I mean, I really do. I, I didn't follow it closely, but I guess just the fact that the people are willing not just people that that the media is by and large willing to repeat and say things that are clearly and utterly blatant falsehoods as if they're truths and also to paint something as impressive when it's clearly not you know what i mean like this i think the republican national the rnc this year so showed i mean just just the fact that the republican you know committee had to change the rules around to steal the opportunity for people to nominate delegates you know they essentially turned it into a big puppet show just because they were so worried about the possibility of you know uh, ron paul getting something going mm-hmm. and i feel and admittedly i just feel like that's kind of not being 
carried is like really that big a, a news deal. And I'm like, I would I would say that watching Republicans take away their own democratic powers from one another is, is it's kind of, it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. It's worth <laughs> is kind of worth talking about because it's that's 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 a real shocking thing, you know. So here is the way I'm staying sane through this. Mm-hmm. I'm reading the Guardian's coverage from the UK. Uh, yeah. See, that's uh, it. I that never quite helps me because in the, my core of core, I'm like, ah, why can't we have a press like this? God sakes, like you know. No, totally. I'm Ugh. I'm very surprised. And I've been saying it today. Very surprised that um, even if they're coding it mm-hmm. awkwardly, I'm very surprised that they're actually saying, "Hey, Paul Ryan didn't tell the truth last night." Hmm. Hmm. I mean, well, it's terrible. Terrible. I'm surprised that they're saying it. Especially, yeah. you know, and they're calling, you know, factual inaccuracies. Factual inaccuracies. Exactly. But, As but, opposed in, to saying that he lied. Yeah, he lied. But I'm yeah. genuinely surprised they're, they're even saying that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, right. wait, you're actually going to say that maybe he was just shitting people? Really? Yeah. Because yeah. that's kind of amazing. And it's so depressing that that's, mm-hmm. you know, that that is amazing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm 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 there with you. I'm there with you. So well, in any event, so yeah, I do apologize for whatever reason it starts, you know, filtering into my view, my view of America generally, and just like tearing Tell, my hair. Go and visit a, a swearing ceremony. You, mm-hmm. I swear to God, you'll come away being like, America's fucking amazing. I didn't know that we had single-handedly saved the world. That, <laughs> that woman had had nothing and now she's got a flag yeah yeah no i totally i mean that is that's a fascinating thing but like the other day i mean i was just like because somebody made some comment on twitter and i'd be like yeah it would be nice if president obama actually looked over at his nobel peace prize in the act of signing off on the unpiloted drone assassinations of innocent bystanders being defined as combatants strictly because they're in a combatant zone. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, that's the dude I'm going to vote for. Like, I'm kind of bummed. I'm seriously bummed. You know, I, you know, that's my, that's my lesser of two evils. Like Graham, I need tons of people waving flags at me all the time because I really do have this feeling of, I do remember growing up and hearing these stories of people who would go overseas and, you know, get picked up by an Italian cab driver who would movingly tell them stories about, you know, how the GIs, like after they, you know, basically successfully took over Italy, the first thing they did was rode down the streets and passed out food supplies to starving villagers, you know, and how that concept of like mercy and compassion, you know, meant the world to these people. And, you know, and, and the, and the flip side of it is, is I'm like, Oh God. And for the last 10 years, it just feels like all we've been doing is killing people and stealing the Royal, you know? So, (laughs) Like, I'm like we we are so far away from this episode of uh, this issue of Archie that I wanted to talk about. I cannot even begin to tell you. I don't know how I'm going to get back there. I had to, oh my god! All no, of this out. You have, to, you have to start talking about Archie right now. And you know who else has been disappointing me over the last ten years? Jughead. Yes. Let me tell you, Jughead. <laughs> wait, wait. Is it 
isn't the issue of Archie you're talking about the Occupy issue? Uh, no, this is this is the other issue by with art by Giselle, the great switcheroo. Uh, oh man, I I didn't even know that was out. I'm totally gonna have to go and buy that. Came out last week, and I was like, oh shit, I can't believe I didn't get that, and I did. And um, oh really? Well, okay. No, here's the thing, Graham, because it's a it's a hard process to me to talk about. Where I'm like, I have. Like, I, I was always, like, weird about, you know, like, whenever people are like, hey, it's Wolverine, but with tits. Hey, it's Spider-Girl, Spider-Man, but with boobs. I'm always like, geez, guys, really? But let me tell you, you turn Archie into a woman, put her in pigtails, and I'm like, hmm, you know? Like, uh, that little pointy <laughs> nose of Jugheads on a woman, I'm like, I can deal with that, you know? Like, oh, that's kind no, of hot. Jeff. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a mess. I'm a mess. But more to the point, the thing that's really kind of sad about this issue is that it really does have a um, – it had a really interesting way of, of potentially changing things around, you know, in that essentially what happens is Sabrina with her, you know, talking queenie cat come to town to run some errands and they over eavesdrop on Reggie who I think has been rude to them or something like that. Uh, he, he, you know, the cat decides to get revenge on Reggie and of course swap everyone's gender. Cause everyone's saying, Oh, you have it easier than I have it and blah, blah, blah. And with the switch genders, there's sort of a lot of time is sort of spent on the hijinks of, you know, like suddenly Betty and Veronica are I think Billy and Ron, and they're both in the process of competing for Archina's um, attentions. And it, it's somehow, it, I guess that really isn't quite as interesting as there's like one page where you've got mouse who is, who is the gender flipped moose. Who's basically sitting there being like, um, I wish I could play on the foot, play football, but no girls are allowed on the team. And it was just kind of one of those weird moments of like, wow, it would be really great to actually show how the guys who are now females actually have like a harder time of doing the things that they used to do kind of, you know, like to, as a sort of comical magical way to talk about the, the gender differences. Um, and instead, it actually just sort of seems a little bit like a uh, DC Silver Age story from the, like the late fifties or the early sixties, where it's like, oh, the, you know, th- this is me patronizingly going, "Oh, Jeff, did you really, <laughs> did you really think it was going to talk about that? It's an Archie comic." Jeff. No, I, I really? that's it. I really didn't, and I was just flipping the pages, going, "Oh, this art is nice," and hmm, ah. Yeah, Jughead as a woman is attractive to me now. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to Google Jughead as a woman because I just, I, I cannot even, I'm imagining Midge is who I'm imagining. I, I think I think that's actually a Bjork song, isn't it? Jughead, Jughead as a woman. woman. <laughs> what is, what is the, um, the, uh, the, the issue? name of the character? Or Oh, it's, it's Archie 636. Uh, and Jughead, I think, becomes JJ. Of course, Jughead becomes JJ. Yeah, exactly. The switcheroo. Honestly, everyone had had a better time I, with I, their I'm names. Looking at the, that's hilarious. Yeah, 
That yeah. is absolutely hilarious. Archie as a woman is absolutely hilarious. Isn't it? I it really is. Later somehow, I guess I slept better than usual. Also, you're a woman. Uh, <laughs> and, and with spectacular fiction logic, uh, Archie as a woman wakes up with lipstick on. Uh, Really? Yeah. Maybe those lips are just naturally that pink. I don't know. Yes, that's the way people's lips work. Especially when you look at all the male characters, their lips are that pink. Okay. Uh, all right, pal. I see this is a little tit for tat. I destroy your theories, your beloved dreams about America, and you're going to destroy my <laughs> beloved dreams about Archie as a woman. That is fine. See how it's going to oh, be. Oh, man. Uh, Jerk. That's really funny. Rich. Regina. Yeah, Regina's actually it's, probably... It's the, the, the preview switch. stops short of showing me Jockhead as a woman, sorry. Uh, yeah. Well, it'll it'll be an incentive for you to buy the issue. Now, of course, because I've been reading and heavily recommending uh, Menage 3 to you and other fine people on the internet, I, I'm, as you know, heavily in the tank for Giselle's art. Well, I have uh, said that. I mean, the preview pages I'm looking at are just lovely. Yeah, she's just, she's just a phenomenally great uh, artist. And perfectly suited for Archie because she has such the heavy Don Dillon influence uh, and, and then, but, but has so clearly worked it into her own styles and she's just got a great sense of body language and everything. It'd be lovely. I hope she does. She does more work for them. And this was, this was kind of a really fun sort of sassy slam dunk for her. I liked it in a way, even though it was, so much less of a story than the Occupy Riverdale thing. I think I, I liked it more just because it was just sort of, it was just fun froth. Well, that's just it. Like, it's a throwaway thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It like, really it's is. it's the sort of thing that you, you know, we can joke about. It's, I'm so sad that it did not really investigate gender politics in modern America. But that's the sort of story that you can just do as a throwaway joke, whereas, like, you can't yeah. treat Occupy cheaply. And, you know, Archie tried. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And yeah, it, without it, it seeming it, sort mm-hmm. of offensive. Yeah, and they really came to that line and a little bit over and you know, it it was there was a lot more prevarication and sleight of hand involved in the Occupy story. This one was very straightforward. They could have had that little twist to make me feel and I guess, you know, considering maybe that pan that one panel I talked about was the little twist. But I felt like it could have been uh, integrated a little bit better throughout the comic and, and still felt great, you know, still worked. But as it is, it was actually quite enjoyable. Um, uh, also quite enjoyable, I should mention, not out this week. Uh, I just finished reading just this morning Avengers Vision and the Scarlet Witch, A Year in the Life Trade, which Jay Smitty was uh, kind enough to drop in the mail. Oh, it's, for me. it's a classic, right? It really is is great. Like it's I mean, such a chunk of greatness, and, and like really old school Marvel stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's old school Marvel. I mean, there are times where it's it's not generous of me, but I really it. I, did you read it in the trade? Then I mean, I think <laughs> yeah. you might have read the original, but you know, the trade has that super tiny. Four-page Kurt Busiek interview with Steve Englehart. Yes, exactly. Hey, Marvel Age interviewed uh, Englehart. Why don't we reprint the entire interview on one page? Yeah, I mean, I love the fact that somebody went to the to the trouble of reprinting that. Like that was clearly someone's labor of love. I mean, it's absurd. I was sitting there with a you know a fucking magnifying glass, um, 
And it is a shame because there is this one part where Steve Englehart being, I think, beyond generous talks about how this book is really going to be the book that makes Richard Howell as an artist, I suppose. Um, and he's saying like, there's always a year when people discover Barry Smith or Frank Miller or Howard Chaikin or Alan Moore or whatever. And I think people are going to discover Richard Howell this year. And I was like, no, you know, <laughs> I have to say that is a stellar lineup of people that Steve Englehart mentioned. And, and Richard Howell has his charms, I think, I guess, but, uh, He's he's kind of not in that league, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's so. um, it's not a book that you look at and you think the art in this one is staggering. Yeah, it it's, really it's, a, it's a book that when Al Milgram shows up with his West Coast Avengers spinoff issues, you're like, huh? Suddenly, Al Milgram's looking pretty good, huh? Yeah, Al Milgram suddenly looks like a really tight artist. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it does not. But that being said, I I adored. Avengers and Scarlet Vision and Scarlet Witch for a number of levels, but one of the things that was great is is that um, a- apart from the fact that Inglehart is interested in moving the ball forward on these characters, mm-hmm. um, is also the idea of he really gets the fact that these two people have a really interesting. Um, I guess because Englehart is interested in creating families, I guess. And especially in that book. Mm -hmm. And especially in this book. So that it becomes – there's points where, I mean, it's done in a way that it's almost silly. But there's the flip side of it, which is between the way that he essentially continues to dig into – the vision's origin and sort of keep fishing out new things about it. Um, that it's like all of a sudden he has a mother, it, you know, the idea of he and Simon Williams as like essentially twin brothers, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and with the grim reaper as like yet another member of that and the human torch being essentially almost, almost like the father that the vision never had outside of Ultron. Oh, I think that's it. There's a point where you've got Hank Pym and Ultron as essentially, you know, father, son, and, you know, father to the vision at the same time. Mm. And then you've got the Scarlet Witch coming in with Quicksilver being married to the humans and Magneto tied to the X-Men. And suddenly you have this, suddenly the whole thing feels like a universe again, you know? Yeah, yeah it's amazing. It, and you've got the vision calling Hank Pym, grandfather and things like that it, it's yeah. just and it it seems it seems linked but believable if that makes sense as opposed to yes. you know you've got an avx where it, they throw everything in mm-hmm. but there's no time to breathe and so you're just mm-hmm. like i don't know avx feels if you look at them both um in theory as opposed to an execution mm-hmm. avx should make more sense yes yeah, and yeah, Avengers and Scarlet Witch makes more sense because there's because it can breathe because you you get the the characterization and you're like okay so it kind of makes sense like it's a ridiculous mm-hmm. thing but even the characters kind of comment on how ridiculous it is oh they they comment on how it's ridiculous and then there's times where Englehart's execution is ridiculous on top of that but even above and beyond it it does the willingness to look ridiculous allows it to get to a place 
that is more interesting than it would have gotten to if it had played it straight. And I mean, I love the fact, again, it, real early on in the crossover with West Coast Avengers, um, there, there's some point where Hank Pym says something to Ultron. Maybe he's trapped or something and Ultron's being ordered away and, and Pym says something snide. And Ultron actually has a thought balloon that says something like, oh, no, he, he actually whispers, just watch me, dad. Just watch. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And I love that. I do. I'm just like, that's fucking great. Like, there's just this whole real weird way in which turning your family into a bunch of psychopathic robots makes so much sense. You know what I mean? Like, it really is closer to life as you actually have lived it, I suppose. At least in my case. Uh, <laughs> so it, here's something funny. I read the um, Infernal crossover cover mm-hmm. uh, the other night, which is all the non X books, not all the non core Inferno chapters. So the mm-hmm. Spider Man crossovers, the Fantasy Four crossovers, the Daredevil crossovers, Ooh, Daredevil. the Power Pack crossovers. Mm-hmm. In the middle of this are the Fantasy Four issues which are the Steve Englehart written ones. Mm-hmm. He could make that shit sing. Mm-hmm. He really could. He has given a dog of a premise yeah. with terrible, terrible villains. Mm-hmm. And honest to God, it was the, by far the most enjoyable thing in the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it really was. But it's exactly the same thing. Like He approaches all of these characters with... This weird cross of reality and soap opera mm-hmm. that just works. It seems pitch perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like in this one, the the for, again, that West Coast Avengers um, uh, crossover in the mm-hmm. first two issues, you know, heavily centers around the idea that the Grim Reaper as uh, Simon Williams as Wonder Man's brother – you know, is obsessed with the obscenities that has been made of his dead brother in the form of the Vision and Wonder Man. And he's basically in the process of doing this whole convoluted history of of recreating Simon Williams. And what's great is in the process of recapping Wonder Man's origin, Iron Man, who's talking about it, mentions the fact that Simon Williams had stolen from his company or something. And Tiger's like, wait a minute, the Simon Williams that I would know would never have stolen from his company, you know? And Iron Man's like, well, it's not like I'm making it up. Like, he gets really defensive. And there's a great moment where the conversation stops and, like, all the West Coast Avengers are walking along going, like, well, that was awkward. You can tell Tony's not pleased at being called a liar, which is a great little, yeah, sure, that makes sense moment. But even better is the payoff that it builds to that, ends up being in this weird way psychologically rooted to what's going on on the dynamic between Simon Williams and his brother the green uh, Eric the the grim reaper like not in any sort of like oh well you could see that really happening in reality but like you said a weird mixture of soap opera and a degree of psychological complexity i mean there's that whole section which goes nowhere in the vision and scarlet witch where the vision actually shows up to talk to Submariner and Captain America about the Human Torch. Mm-hmm. And it, they're kind of like, he's like, 
well, did he eat? And they're like, yeah, he ate. And it's like, did he have like a cold, emotionless voice? It's like, no, he had a warm voice and a New York accent. And I just had that weird moment of like, Jesus, I've never given it a moment's thought. And I mean, I don't know. I assume that stuff that Englehart picks up further on down the line. I was kind of bummed that, that none of that really gets like the the big double issue finale where Wanda gives birth is kind of <clears throat> pretty small stakes by that point, I yeah. think. You know? it, it, does, but, it, does this book make you want to read the West Coast of Androtron? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, I was so bummed. I was kind of like, I had that moment of like, God, I wish the fucking GIT core disc that I had had, had West, know, Coast, had Avengers West Coast Avengers. Yeah. But the thing is, is that I really had that moment of like, oh, wait, I've got the Fantastic Four disc that has all of the Silver Surfer issues. I could read Englehart's Silver Surfer run and I could read his stuff on Fantastic Four. Yeah. And I, God help me. I really might. I really might. Here, this is him in 1985. And yeah, this, 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 that's just it. Engelhart, we kind of make fun of Engel, like late period Engelhart, but he's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, in, in, in no sarcasm at all. Engelhart, yeah, no, really, really, really made great work. Yeah, if you if you are willing to put up with some unbelievable absurdity. It is it is so rewarding that I think. Did you see when I tweeted like that that in that opening of that first issue where like the vision is like being held by Gyrick and Gyrick's you know sort of you basically get the origin of the vision and while well, Gyrick's thinking about shutting him down and the Scarlet Witch comes in hexes everybody they quit the Avengers and then she basically like you know gives him the fist so to speak, uh, the, the, I don't know, Bronx salute or whatever. And then there's that wonderful full page panel of the two of them kissing in an elevator going up. And, and it just says lovers in like huge, like a full panel thing. Like, I don't know how to describe Lovers, double dash, exclamation point. Cause that feels like a very angle hard. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Let me see if I, you know, I think I, I was so excited. I snapped a picture of it on my iPhone. Let's see if I can text that to you <laughs> so that you can actually see it. Cause I really do. Like I had this moment of like, Oh my God, that is like, uh, that, that is a moment that is like, um, it's like Edgar Wright and, uh, God, who's the, who's the guy who did the strictly ballroom dude. Oh, Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, it's like a it's like a Baz Luhrmann moment, just like you know it you know done years before. Oh, there's my Submariner Hitler quote. God, my iPhone. I worry if it ever gets lost and somebody recovers it, they're just going <laughs> to be like, like, "What is this guy?" Yeah, what is this? Oh, you know what? I must have. Did I just take the picture and attach it via my tweet? Is that how that worked? I can look. I can look up your Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm, it's very easy because I've only posted a couple of things. But um, no, Engelhart. Especially at that point, Engelhart, I think, was just... Well, I loved his stuff in the 70s. I'm just shocked that he comes back in the 80s, and he's very different. Like, his stuff is brighter and poppier and more plastic, and in a way... And it's much more, um, like, cod psychological. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's weird pop psychology. Mm -hmm. Uh, And characters Mm -hmm. will... There's no real subtext, because characters will just think they're subtext. They will. They will. They'll they'll totally explain it and underline it. And they'll even explain it, which is nice, is they'll explain it to other characters and other characters will point out something they hadn't thought of before. Um, you know, 
much kind of like that way that Vision's just like, oh, yeah, but we can totally get you pregnant now, you know? And she's like, oh, I guess I guess that works. Why didn't I ever think of that? Okay, let's knock me up, you know? And um, just insane, just insane stuff. Really so satisfying. And such a shame because if you think about it, it really is the, the renunciation of Englehart is at the core of the current Marvel universe, don't you think? You know, uh, as a yeah, maybe not as I, the central theme, but I, I, um, the well, it is we, the core of House of M, which does motivate like a huge chunk of everything that goes on well, in the Marvel it, universe. Yeah, sense. Uh, I feel that that is with Burns on my Coast Avengers. I feel Burns yes. on Coast Avengers is is far more disrespectful to Englehart. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, um, no, no, yes. genuinely, I think it is because mm-hmm. it came immediately mm-hmm. after him, and it's pretty much like "fuck you." Yeah, uh, none I, of that ever happened. You know, yeah, yes, exactly. I was all dumb. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you have characters who are being like, "How could you? How could you ever have a baby? He's a robot. What? Right? He doesn't yes, have genitals." Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, and that was immediately afterwards, and it really did just feel like you. I don't like what you did with the characters, and fuck you. Yeah, agreed. Uh, well, agreed. But I guess maybe because Byrne was at that stage sort of in the process of slowly slipping away. I mean, I totally agree with you. And he did it in a more disrespectful way. But the renunciation of the Vision and Scarlet Witch relationship being at the core of Avengers Dissembled and essentially becoming like one of the the main themes that run out, you know, is even being addressed in like Bendis's prologue issue into AVX. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think what I see more as a renunciation of Englehart in current day Marvel is it lacks the the levity of Englehart. Englehart, I feel, always, always mm-hmm. in all of his stories, there's a comedy to it. And I feel that modern day Marvel has the desire to be psychological without yes. realizing that it, that's kind of ridiculous considering these characters. Right. Does that make sense? Right, right, right. No, I, I do. But I guess, I guess that's what I mean is, is like they sort of are, cause I know there are guys, especially, you know, Brubaker is, a, you know, clearly a huge fan of Englehart's Captain America, which he's talked about, you know, all over the place. And you, it really comes through and it's, absolutely 100% affectionate. I feel like there's a lot of ways in which there is an attempt to sort of, yeah, create sort of Englehardy type stories or Englehart concepts, uh, not not necessarily by Brubaker, but by a lot of those guys. Yeah, but with not the, being able the, to successfully filtering out, like you said, they're trying to filter out the, like you said, the comedy or the... Or just the, the tone. Like the, yeah, just the, 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 the pop glibness. The really mm-hmm. sort of weirdly self-aware... Right. Um, and self parodying right. nature of, of especially 80s Engelhart. Right. And, well, which is, for me, completely the charm of his West Coast Avengers. And I'm so right. sad that Marvel stopped the premier classic line when, oh, shit. when it's really like two collections of West Coast Avengers behind the end of his run. Mm-hmm. It really only would have taken like two volumes and then it would have, have the entire Engelhart run. Right. Well, and it's true. I mean, it is that weird way of sort of the same way that that uh, that Marvel 
I mean, the DC has sort of diligently put everything by Kirby into trades and gotten them out there. Like Marvel, because their because their trade program is such a mess, really have done a huge chunk of that with Englehart. You know, like I'm shocked by how much of his stuff. Because the other thing Jay Smitty threw in was the Celestial Madonna trade um, paperback, which I'm sort of looking forward to all reading. And is that the, the 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 like the classic or the the Return he did in like two thousand. No, it's the it's the classic. It's, it's, the, it's the original. Yeah, they're definitely reissuing the Return miniseries he did. Oh, really? See, and did you read that? Yes, I do, and I remember picking up some issues and just being like, it wasn't working for me at the time. Oh, so. I believe it's not going to work for me now, but I, I'm really curious to see it. I would love to see it again. It does it comes from this from some of the seeds that he had sown in Silver Surfer, I think, because he yes. brought back Mantis as the Celestial Madonna there. So, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of curious. I mean, did they did, did he do it as a separate miniseries or as part of as, something else? as a separate miniseries? Shit, because of course I'm like it was the same time that uh, Ang, uh, that music run was happening. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, that does. That's what I thought, but I'm just like, oh, if there's because I'm so in this there's stage of like, people, aren't you? You're like, I really want to read it, but I really don't want to. Fuck uh, Yeah, exactly. If this could just be on the handful of DVDs that I bought legitimately a while ago, it would make my life a lot easier. Um, oh, so did you find that picture, or is it still? Not I did. I did find it. It is spectacular. And it, does that mean the lovers is the title of the story? You know. That's so funny. I maybe it is. It just came because there's no credit sequence on it. I was just like, it just seemed like this big, like, you know, you can all but hear Freddie Mercury and Queen, like, you know, doing a power chord in it. Because the first page just says Vision and Scarlet Witch, a 39 page thriller by, and then it's got the credit. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think Lovers is the, the, oh, the, the title the, of the story. The issue, yeah. 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 Probably. But it was phenomenal phenomenal um because he really doesn't do that throughout the rest so it makes sense yeah in fact considering there's like a thing of them walking through a glade and there's ancestors must clearly be the title there so (laughs) what a series what a series indeed let me tell you oh it it is yeah no Mm. it's a great one and really interlibrary loan the fuck out of those west coast avengers collections yeah, I'll have to I'll have to hunt those up. Again, Jay Smitty, thank you so much for sending me this trade of this. This was absolutely awesome. It's uh I've I've read a bunch of other stuff this week that I'm looking forward to talking about, but that was the one where I was like, "Oh my god, I have to talk about this." Uh, Cuz I you had talked about it on the podcast and how brilliant it was, and I have to say, absolutely on the money. Yeah, no, it really is. It's really amazing. Mhm. Mhm. Good job, Steve Englehart of 1980s. Yeah. No kidding. Good job indeed. So what else have you read, sir? Uh, The other thing that I read that blew my mind, like it was just so good I melted inside, uh, was Gabrielle Bell's The Voyeurs that um, it just came out. Well, it's kind of interesting. I don't know. You know, it was just on the shelf at Comics Experience. It's published by Uncivilized Books and... Amazon has a shipping date on that of September 4th. So I don't know if it just hit all the comic stores early or if Hibbs was on that shit. I assume he got it through Baker and Taylor. 
because I didn't see it on his shipping list for this week. Anyway, it's a hardcover. It's $24.95, which is a little rich for my blood. It is um, full-color reprints of uh, Gabrielle Bell's work that has appeared mainly on her website, um, at, but also as well as in McSweeney's uh, Drawn and Quarterly's Lucky uh, and the Best American Comics 2011. It, it's phenomenal. I love her work so much and it's and i spent a lot of time going like why why is this so just phenomenal you know it's a collection of her pieces the piece that really where i was just like well okay admittedly part of it is i am a big nosy gossipy you know of voyeur so she has a 30 page sequence that is about her and her boyfriend at the time, Michelle Gondry, going back to France. And it and it closes with essentially their press junket in Tokyo for the film that they had made together. And then talks about their visit in Paris. And it's, so it's, it's weirdly kind of lost in translation-y, I guess, you know, because she's in France with her boyfriend. Um, but... The thing that I think is so phenomenal about Belle is, uh, apart from she has, I mean, I like her art, but her art is, you know, it's like she's got the way she like has blobs of ink kind of reminds me of Julie Doucet in a way that I find sort of charming. And she's got kind of like a fine little wiry line drawing style. But none of that's really particularly exceptional. You know, she colors her work very well to make the most of the details sort of being able to pop out at you. But her pacing is tremendous. Uh, she just tells a story so phenomenally well, just in the way that just even working on a straight, you know, I want to say this is like a six panel grid. Most of this. Yeah. It's all, almost all of it is six panel grids. Um, but her ability to tell these details of that are utterly, utterly unique and therefore should could somehow should not be universal at all, but mm. I mean, it's but she's almost, but are. Yeah, exactly. There's a scene where she and Michelle, uh, go out to the woods. They go out on a drive and they end up in the woods somewhere nearby. He had driven her and there's some great things of him, like swearing in French at the various other people. Uh, but she goes out, they're they're walking around this area, this I guess is sort of near this lake where he was uh he used to go as a kid. And she basically gets undressed and jumps in the water and she's like, Oh, it's it's so cold. And he's sort of like, You're just doing this for your journal, aren't you? And and he's like, I wish I had my camera. And she's like, Well, I have mine in my purse. And he's like, You are, you are doing this for your website. And and she's like, I'm going to jump in and you take a picture of me in midair, okay? Click a little early because the camera is slow. And he's like, all right, go. And the thing that's phenomenal is essentially they are unable to time up her falling into the lake with him taking the picture of the camera because the camera is slow. Mm -hmm. That she has to do it again and again and again. And the third time that she falls into this lake and they're like, okay, let's try and do this. Okay. One more time. You're like, wow, it's, it's this amazing like distillation of like, this is what it's like to have a relationship break up. 
You know, at no point does she like in the Steve Englehardy way where there'd be the thought balloon of like, this is it. It is like a situation that we keep doing over and over together, but we can't sync up on. Our relationship is really over. Choke. Like there's none of that there. But she is such a phenomenal storyteller that you are like, it's and it and because everything's told on a six panel grid, nothing has almost everything has the same amount of weight. And mm-hmm. so precisely the details that she chooses or the way that she paces things guides you in in and how you react to the stories and it's just phenomenal like i really thought that i mean that was a a huge part that i adored in part because i'd read the later part of the book where she goes to comic-con san diego comic-con 2010 uh and it and he's there like doing publicity for green hornet um, and their encounters with each other and then all the other characters in the book. It's, there's just, it's such a phenomenal piece. Uh, apparently a lot of people are talking about how they like some of our non superhero recommendations. If you got the coin for it, it's a gorgeous looking book. It's very compact. If it had been like just $5 cheaper, I would totally, absolutely like exhort everyone to go get it. But as it is, Hunt it up at the library or see if it's worth it to you it, because I think that it, she, it's, a, it's phenomenal stuff. It's just great storytelling. And while you were talking, I've actually already added it to my library list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, we'll have to see if that, if that if it works for you. Yeah, it would, no, but it's, it's beautiful, Graham. It's a beautiful thing is what, what it is. Hey, so. no, you're beautiful. <laughs> so that was the other one that I was just like so dying to talk about. Um and then the variety of things that I got like the new Dead Guardians, I think I I've, I've mentioned before, it's like 6 issues in and I just wish it uh, of an 8 issue mini series yeah. and I'm really bummed that it's not continuing cuz I think it is a phenomenal book. I I also really enjoy it. Um, but think of it this way. It's going to get to 8 issues as opposed to Dominic Levu Voodoo Child, which launched as an ongoing series, and was cancelled at issue seven. Yeah, no, it's true. It's so totally chances true. are you're going to see more of it than you would have if it was an ongoing series. Well, yes and no. I mean, honestly, uh, I feel very bad that we could not get on the Dominique Laveau train. It was a very hard train to get on. Let's admit it. But you know, I mean, the new Dead Guardians, although it is not, I, I think it's it's selling not especially well. You know, it's by Dan Abnett. You know what I mean? I think I, I would like to think if there are dudes out there who are able to command at least a little bit of trust on the part of the big two companies, Abnett and Lanning, even if they're working separately, would be would be up there. Um, but yeah, no, New Dead Guardian 6 is great. I, I'm going to try and exhort people to like buy the trade. Uh, Axe Cop number two, I thought was sublime in a way that you're tired of hearing me talk about <laughs> and would probably, probably disagree. Uh, the new issue of Profit, which interestingly enough, um, didn't work for me in some ways. I think entirely just because the art didn't quite knock me out as much as in previous issues, you know, um, I thought there was still some really cool, enjoyable stuff with it. Some always some good ideas. But honestly, Graham, that being said, you should pick it up and flip through it at the very least for the five page. Is it five? 
I guess it is the five page sequence at the end where Brandon Graham is talking to Phil Barlow about how Phil Barlow created the Zooniverse comic book. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a great way to do an interview. It is essentially the exact opposite of like, you know, the comics journal interview where it's like wall of text and the occasional graphic. These are like dialogue caption boxes appearing over all images, you know? And so there'll be like, you know, basically two panels to a page, but one of those panels might be a photo of all the colored story breakdowns uh, on a particular issue and how Barlow talking about how he uses the color coding to be able to, he like color codes the storylines so that he could look at each issue at a glance essentially and see how it was moving forward. Or talking about the type of uh, acetate that he used and how it gets applied to the page to get the the more Euro looking color to it. It's, it's a really wonderful way of, it's, it's, it's like a whole new way in talking and showing the comics process. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think you would be really excited about that. Okay, I, I will pick it up. I'm probably going to be picking up the trade, the, the $9, mm-hmm. the $10 trade of the first six issues this weekend. Oh, yeah, right. Um, so I will I will revisit Profit and let you know what I think. I'll be, I'll be quite curious. I'm actually be, I would be curious in revisiting that as well because I sort of feel like, uh, I feel like I've lost the plot. Well, actually, I feel like I missed the plot and it's been kind enough to actually fill me in on what I missed. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I think I see what's going on now and why. Okay, great. You know, like I'm, it's weird story wise. I'm back on the bus, but I guess just in terms of the art, I've kind of felt a little underwhelmed, which is the opposite of the way that I picked up every other issue of profit, which is just kind of not knowing what's going on, but being pleasantly like, uh, bowled over by everything that's happening. Um, and I should mention that uh, RM Rhodes was kind enough to send me a copy of uh, their comic Emo Galactus, which they're going to have debuting at SPX this year. Written by RM Rhodes, art by Meredith Burke. And it's essentially uh, Galactus talking about whether or not he's going to do a, a put together a mini comic and why the Watcher won't read it. And it's it's you get the greatest shit. Don't I? I really do. I have to say, I'm I'm definitely on a roll these days. So, um, the I'll be honest. I think the comic is just sort of hilarious and filled with potential. It's not entirely there yet. You know, it's like um, it's not. It's just. It's not. It's not soup yet. But R M Rhodes, thank you for sending it my way, and definitely keep keep working on stuff. Uh, you know, definitely <laughs> as you're, it was right up my alley. Um, I don't, I don't think everything is gel- quite gelled right in terms of sort of the storytelling or even the jokes kind of didn't land or didn't seem quite clear enough to land, but, um, but it really has me excited to see what, what else you're going to be doing. So thank you for sending along everyone else. If you're going to be at SBX, look out for emo Galactus. It is actually full color and, um, kind of kind of just it's 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 dopey fun so if they if you get a good price for it um you'll be glad you did that sounds awesome yeah i i i want to read it 
I, I will send you my copy. Or maybe, I don't know. See, I think the, the benefit is is that people can send me stuff at Comics Experience. So. Ah, see, that's the thing. Yeah, we got it. Maybe we should. Maybe we should come up with a. Maybe you should set up a little wait. What post office box that people can send stuff to you? Maybe that will be my one hundredth issue surprise. <laughs> that would be great. Good news, everybody! I've actually created an alternative identity, and I now have six credit cards under the name Wait What McMillan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I have one thing that I've read this week that I uh, want to very quickly talk about before we wrap it up because we've been talking for a while, Jeff, and normally one of us oh, has yeah. thrown off. Um, but please talk I read, about more. I, I can read, go a little Jeff, longer this time. Mm-hmm. A preview of the second issue of Black Kiss 2. <gasps> no. Yes. And Jeff, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, could Black Kiss 1 be topped? Or Black Kiss 2 issue 1 be topped? The answer yes. is Yes. No. Yes, it can. Actually, here's the thing. It actually reads a lot more like what you'd expect issue one to have been like, having given a plot summary and read the first series of books. In that, it is actually a lot more narratively coherent. Great. On every other level, though, just what you'd expect really? from the last issue. Yeah. Holy shit! I'm stunned. I am stunned. And also, to be perfectly honest, I can completely see why Diamond aren't going to bring this into the UK. Not because it is like, you know, I am offended by it, but mm-hmm. yeah, if this is what's going to be in every single issue, every single issue is going to be held up at customs. Every single mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. Hmm. So, more tentacle rape? Or no, not tentacle rape. Saying... Just straightforward blowjobs this time. Oh, okay. Well, but that, better. but that is like that's enough for the British customs to be like. Let me take another look at this. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because that's the foreground of a shot. Is it? Oh, really? For for a oh, page. <laughs> and that's that's twice. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. But still, and so really, like, of... if I were Diamond, I would, I would, I too would be like, you know what, really. We can't really pretend this is anything other than our chicken being a dick. So let's not bother. <laughs> well, uh, that is a shame. That is a shame to those fine Brits over there, such as John Kane, who, I don't know, I feel like I should be like buying the issues and mailing them to him. So maybe I'll do that. <laughs> well, you can buy them digitally. Well, see, I don't, I don't know if he can buy them. I guess he could. I mean, he's on the computer, so. But of course, part of me is like, who wants to read that stuff on a computer screen? I guess. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm such a tablet I, dude. Well, pornography available. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, chicken. Ooh, wow. Well, I'm. Uh, I got to admit, I'm pretty. So. Is this is this yet another week where you didn't necessarily make it into the store, or you did, but you didn't necessarily pick up anything? Because everything you've talked about is stuff that's... I didn't make it to the store. I'm purely going on stuff I've been mailed or emailed. <sighs> you know, maybe that's what we should do for the 100th episode, Grant. I just is... go to the store. <laughs> <laughs> wow, someone's being a bit snarky, aren't they? You want me to be snarky, Graham? It's so funny you ask. Let's talk about the Morrison Con schedule, shall we? <laughs> oh, do it. Go. Because actually, I, I yes. Yeah, I too looked at it and was like, that's what people are paying 700 to to $1,000 for? 
Oh my God, I know, right? I mean, I did actually love that that Rich had that thing of like, or for $40 across the street, um, because I'm just stunned. I'm stunned. I I actually have to give it up to to a friend who I am actually going to remain uh, nameless for their own sake, where they actually talked about the trial of the super gods thing, the, 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 you know, the, hey, trivia, you know, they'll watch, watch the geniuses. Um, where is it? Oh, it is the best. You can't even, you, I can't even make fun of it. As day one comes to a close, use that last unblasted brain cell to join our guests in some lighthearted, trivial revelry. Master of Ceremonies, James Syme, will lead the festivities, taking our guests to task with our wiliest, wildest, or wackiest tests of trivia, which can be submitted throughout the day in the Morrison Con Salon. A perfect bit of madcap fun to cap off an intense day of creative energy. And I love the fact that someone actually texted me a link to this page mentioning that section and said, this literally sounds like the worst thing that has ever happened. <laughs> it just, will ever happen, you know? What I think is kind of... Well, there's two things I think are sad about it. One, that it is so expensive. Oh, I think yeah. if this were just a regular priced con, mm-hmm. it would be great. It would mm-hmm. be amazing. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, it set itself up uh, when it was first announced. It's like it's TED Talks, but for comics, mm-hmm. and it's not. Like you no. look at the schedule, and it's it's just not. It's it's a series of panels f- with a number of very good comic creators who are mm-hmm. probably going to say very interesting things. Yes. But I really feel reading through the schedule that like they were reaching to fill the two days. Total oh, do you think, Graham, with a selection like the sound of the item splitting, where people talk about the music that they're listening to, the challenges of translating melodic sounds to the printed page, and also talk about what albums we've been rocking out to lately with special guest Jimmy Urin? You really think that that's you know Who is Jimmy Urin? I have no idea. They okay, just break my as long as yeah, it's no, not just me. Dude, it's a guy who thought calling himself Jimmy Urin was like a good idea. But maybe he's so. like really famous. Hang on, I'm Wikipedia Jimmy Urin. I, you know, I just, to me, I'm just kind of like, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter how famous. He's the lead he singer of the band Mindless Self-Indulgence. Okay. okay. They, they, had, they had that in parentheses afterwards. They just said Mindless Self-Indulgence, which I thought was perhaps maybe a meta description of the panel. Mindless than. Self-Indulgence, often identified using the abbreviation MSI, is an American music group formed in New York in 1997. Their music has a mixed style, including rap, punk rock, alternative rock, electronica, techno, and industrial. <laughs> I have like I've never heard of this band. Is this I, one of those no. bands that are like really, really famous, and I don't know about them? Or no, do you know what I mean? Like, is this one of the bands that are incredibly hip, and I've never heard of them? I don't know, Graham. You, you're as, oh, as anyone who follows your Tumblr knows okay. you're way so, more up so on the I, music than so I I've am. just watched. Uh, I've just read, rather read. Uh, the group maintains a devout fan base and is open for many well-known acts, such as. And this following act is going to demonstrate why I've never heard of this band before. Lincoln uh-huh. Park, I can't. <laughs> System of a Down, Corn, Subterranean, <laughs> <laughs> Posse, and Ramstein. I have to say, ooh. 
you gotta love Rammstein. That being said, I, I, like I, I when they were talking about a link, like a, a mix of rot, rap and rock, I was like, I was gonna make a Lincoln Park joke or even a Limp Biscuit joke, but fortunately, they've opened for Corn and a System of a Down. Yeah, okay, exactly. Alex. Fortunately, reality has done that for you. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I, yeah, I, I am. Um, yeah, after. Uh, I had such hopes for Mars and Gone. And it could be awesome, and everyone who's going could have an amazing time. But ultimately, I just feel that it, it is a missed opportunity for what it could have been. Yeah, I, I guess. We'll, we'll see. I mean, part of me is also just like, is everyone just going to... Because this is... The, the great thing is there's... Basically just one event going on at any time, which is why it's also kind of weird that it's like two days and they had to pad it out. But I just have this weird thing of like, you know, they've got Grant Morrison in the future of the third millennium at 10 a.m. And then they've got 11 a.m., the empty page, Morrison Con writers on writing. Like, do you like if you're in the audience, I just imagine just, you know, because I've been to too many cons, it's like being in the same room with the same sweating people you know what i mean just sitting there in your in in the same convention room oh no this is the schedule the same really funk. scheduling is really weird like speaking mm-hmm. of someone who's been to uh not just comic cons but like you know conferences you mm-hmm. generally have a break between sessions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you know what i mean so that people can you know here's a crazy idea go to the toilet snack yeah check their mm-hmm. email whatever right um and that's not – I don't know. It's uh, – I could you know, I could be horribly, horribly wrong. This could be a massive success. Definitely with the people who are involved behind it, I want it mm-hmm. to be a success because I want them to have a success. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I, I can't – you know, I, uh, it, I can't really get behind it in the form it's in. Yeah. Yeah, it seems, it seems a weird thing. Now, maybe it'll come together. I mean, you know. I, I think there's a way in which, yeah, I mean. Put it, put it this way. I would have expected myself, given everyone who's being there and given the stated intent of it, I would have accepted, expected myself to actually have wanted to go once I read the schedule, as opposed to looking at it and being like, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not jealous that I'm not going. I'm just like, so that's the thing that's happening. Yeah, that's the thing that's happening. Yeah, I, God bless them. Um, yeah, and there's this weird, there's a weird jump where it's like 6 p.m. things end, and then they start up at like 9:30 a.m. at the Hangover Breakfast, and I'm sort of like, huh? I think I don't know why. I guess I had thought that they were maybe they're they're just committing to hanging out with everyone, uh, you know. Uh, they're doing they're doing that night of like, hey, everybody, we're hitting the nightclub. You know, they're just doing that Friday night. And then Saturday night, everyone's like, God, just we have to we have to go somewhere else and staple our brains back together. But I don't know. Isn't the whole point of this that like you get to hang out with them socially afterwards? Well, that well, I, they're do, I just, you're doing that Friday night, but they don't say anything about that Saturday. Like Saturday, they just have their activities up until Five, you know, five p.m. No, wait, sorry, six p.m. I think on Saturday, you know, and then and then they don't, they just don't say it. They're just like, you know, it's like a perfect bit of madcap fun to cap off an intense day of, of creative energy. Six p.m. and then that's 
And that's it until the next morning with the hangover breakfast. But, you know, and maybe they're doing something. Maybe they're all like, okay, everybody's invited to, you know, we're going to go to Krispy Kreme together. I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, I really have there to There is say. the salon, which I think is the, like, social aspect of it. Yeah, they mentioned that. I didn't really click on the salon. Is that what it's supposed to be? I, I think so. I think the salon is, like, where people hang out when they're not presenting. Mm, right. And they're, and they're chilling. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a fascinating, it could be, I'm sure there's people who are going to walk back from it. Like this was absolutely the best once in a lifetime experience. Oh yeah. No, that, that's just it. Like, I really hope there is. I really like afterwards. I really want to people to be telling me stories, but like good stories. Yeah, no, that, yes. <laughs> I want people to have had a mind blowing experience is what I'm saying. And not right. because, you know, I don't know something terrible happened to them while they're there or they felt gypped by the experience. I want, you know, I want people to come back and be like, you know, I had all these preconceptions and it was so far beyond anything I expected. But yeah. Whereas I kind of want the camp crusty episode of the Simpsons to happen, but in real time uh, and in real life. So you're mean. <laughs> I know. I, am, I know. <laughs> terrible. would be very, very curious to see Twitter that weekend. True, true. I could see where it would be very sensible to, you know. Plus, who knows? I imagine there's going to be some coverage of it on the sites. A site, perhaps. Oh, I can definitely think of one site they'll have coverage, but that's it. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, as far as I know, they're, they are offering press rates. Oh, are they? Yeah. <laughs> What were the press rates? I don't know, but I've told you a story before that I made a, a snarky comment on Blogger and I had the various people organizing being like, it's not that expensive if you really look at all the details and there's press rates. I had no idea there were press rates. Graham, come on, you gotta go. Take Kate. She'll have a great time. I've told you this before. Even if, even if the press rates were spectacular, A, a weekend in Vegas does not sound like my idea of fun. B, a weekend in Vegas in the same room for two days does not sound like my idea of fun. And C, it's Kate's birthday weekend. I know, but Kate could have an awesome time in Vegas. I can totally <laughs> like give you a list of a bunch no, of things. No, 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 no. But you could go. No. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm not sure if that I would necessarily get the press rates. And, uh, oh, actually, I... I, I don't think that I can because it is, interestingly enough, right when Edie leaves for her trip for a week. So just uh, – What else are you going to be doing? Well, I'm going to be helping my wife get ready to leave on her trip. I suppose I could go on the 30th and show up for whatever it is, you know, like, hey, let's all throw up in the same bag. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Hangover breakfast. Uh, but I just, I don't, I don't really, um, I don't know. Maybe I should. <laughs> I'm like, press, <laughs> press rates, eh? I'll show you, Graham McMillan. So, um. Oh, I, everyone who's listening, if this actually makes it into the podcast, because this Jeff and I just being bitchy, convince Jeff that he should do this. Yeah, it'll never happen. There, there is, dude, the only tickets left are like. Seven hundred dollars. Where, where's the price? Jeff, Do they Jeff, press back? Those were the cheap ones. God, really? Yes. 
Oh, see, that's the other reason why I don't want to go. It, there was, there were also the, if you live in Vegas, you don't have to get a hotel room. It's only $500 ticket. Yeah, exactly. Which is just, yeah, no, I guess that's my thing. Is this part of me is like, I'm sure it's priced to be competitive or whatever, but there's, I just, it, it seems, it's like, sorry, I, it's like, I went to Burning Man and paid those kinds of rates and had uh, a, a, an amazing experience. I just unfortunately am too cheap currently to pay those kinds of rates for a, a two night experience that I just I would feel really uncomfortable in. I mean, that's why I want you to go because I know you'd feel uncomfortable in it, but I wouldn't be there. You know what I mean? So. Thanks. Thanks. That's good. It's. I know. I it's, know. It's also really not going to happen. Sorry, Jeff. I have to admit, when it was first announced, I was like, huh. Maybe. And then when I found out this pressure, so I was like, oh, maybe. And then I found out this case's birthday. And, no. and you're like, no, there's no way. Yeah, See, there's absolutely no way. How about this? How about Edie and I come to Vegas and we hang out with Kate while you go to Morrison Con and then afterwards you can tell us about it? No. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm so happy to say no, Jeff. No. <laughs> what happening? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> This, All right. Well, I the, will never. I will never ask you again. I swear. I swear. No more. I will never. I will. Won't try to peer pressure you on this anymore. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> it really is the most annoyed and aggrieved I think that I've ever heard you uh, uh, like on mic on the podcast. Oh, really? Because, uh, <laughs> it's like I'm not that annoyed. <laughs> really? Because you're doing a great job of it. So it's like, Ooh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, on that merry note, um... listeners. So we're off again next week because this time I'm going to be away. Um, the week after that is our hundredth episode, which is actually yeah. not our hundredth episode because we've done preview recordings that we split in half, but counted them as one. Um, yes. That gets really confusing. So it's, it's it does. That's that's why. Yeah, that's why it's our hundredth episode. But we're at hundred and fifty-seven entries on iTunes. So yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Anyway, people who listen to us on savagecritic.com, leave something in the comments as a suggestion for what we should do for 100th, because honestly, we have no idea. And we, if you don't suggest something, <laughs> Jeff, probably not going to do anything. We'll just yeah, it's true. Pick up the random episode. Um, so yeah, leave suggestions. Uh, come up with good ideas. I personally am a fan of people sending us MP3s, questions as MP3s that we can then play during the podcast. Jeff, right, is right, hold on. Yeah. Let me see if I can find my Google Voice number. If I can find my Google Voice number, maybe people can call Google Voice and leave questions or something for us. People, call us at 415-843-1836 with your questions. And we will figure out a way to get them on the podcast unless we don't. Yeah, unless it turns out to be a real, real hassle, in which case we'll probably just answer the way that we normally answer them. Yeah, which is writing you an email about three weeks after you write us. So 415-843-1836. What? Jeez. I meant what we normally do the question. Oh, I see what you're saying. Sorry. I took a different tack there, guys. I swerved left. (laughs) You did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what? Uh, oh, Jeff Lester. Okay, so I know. 100 episodes. Yeah, go us. Which is actually, according to uh, iTunes, it's 150. It will be our 159th episodes. Jesus. It's like Marvel math. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is. We really should. Like, next. 
instead of episode 100, we should announce it as our new episode one for the Wait What Now program. Oh, you know how we should end this? What? We should end this with ours, like us meeting ourselves from 2009 when we started it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? like the bit where there's like the X-Men and the, the robot X-Men, but you don't know the robots. And they're like, we'll see who's real. That would be great. And then, see, this is why I'm like, and then what? I like splice in old statements from our first podcast against podcast statements that we're saying now. So, so I'm looking back at our um, episodes, by the way, on iTunes. Uh-huh. Our numbering was insane at the beginning. <laughs> well, 1.1, 1.3, 1.3, and then the casts. <laughs> 2.1. What was that? Oh, so uh, we only talked for uh, like twenty minutes. That one for the mini cast, I think. But still, like our first episode is only twenty one minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah. like episodes, uh, it should be in the middle of episode five point one and five point two. We have giant size wheel. <laughs> 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 what were we doing? Oh my god, it's it's what? a nightmare. Also, the prologue to episode 10, and there is no episode, it goes to prologue to episode 10, and then episode 11. <laughs> what, what happened? What? Okay, it may, it may not be the best, you know, uh, cultivated RSS feed. Uh, there may be some missing episodes. Because what happened was, remember, we didn't have we didn't have an RSS feed for a chunk of this. We were just posting them. And then, Jeff... Episode, between episode 24 and 25, they're suddenly called Wake What? That's yes. Wh- Wake What? In which, get this, we talk about Steve Englehart's mission and scarfing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then we have a, a prologue to episode 28. Do we? I guess we do. We have a prologue to episode 28 where we just talk about TV for 25 minutes. <laughs> Oh man, I I I don't know what we were doing, listeners. If you've stuck with us for all this time, like if you actually listened to the first episode and you're still here now, oh bless you! Because quite clearly, looking back at this, we had no idea what we were doing. Clearly not. I mean, clearly not. It, we were making this up as we were going along, and then some. So yes. Ah, uh, so yeah. If you have been listening since the first episode. Call. Really, genuinely call. And even if it's just say hello. Uh, yes. Jeff, what's the number again? Is 415-843-1836. That's 415-843-1836. Oh, my God. You said it's so professional right there. Did I? <laughs> it's, it's like Jeff has a future in NPR ahead of him. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious because you hear Ira Glass talk, who is the biggest voice in NPR. And he talks like yeah, that was a very inspiring episode for us. Like I'm like, holy cow, Ira Glass. I don't listen to a lot of NPR, so the the fact of his success is start uh, un- NPR crazy. type links. We should be like coming up. We'll be talking about Stephen Gart's Vision Scarlet Witch miniseries. Stay with us. <sighs> I that and that that style of 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 radio casting actually drives me up a wall. Actually, like I, I'm glad that it's so popular, but there's always that like my uncle 
said that he was going to live forever. And then they play the music in the background. But that wasn't the case at all. You know, like I just, that whole like say two sentences, then wait three minutes for Desinkin, then say another two sentences, and then, ugh, oi, Gavolt. Not my thing. So. I do like it when Jewish Jeff comes out. When Jewish Jeff comes out, yeah, that uh, that should be the title of our hundredth episode. <laughs> Jewish Jeff comes out. There's not going to be any way that's going to be misinterpreted. So, <laughs> oh man, hey listeners, um, we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs>